Dear listeners, this particular podcast is a special podcast because it is very different. So what I've done is I've repurposed a webinar that I've had with a physician who wanted to understand more what the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan was. So he had all these questions. Myself and JP, we were trying to answer these questions, which are very good questions. Some of them are basic and some of them were sophisticated questions. But it is everything to understand the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. So here's uh, something I must do and will do right now. This is a disclosure that I'm going to do. So I am the president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, which is a pension plan by physicians for physicians. And I am the president. And you will hear that JP Laporte is the treasurer of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, but he is also the CEO of Integris Pension Management. And because of this, this is a podcast particularly about this particular pension plan solution. So if you are not interested in this solution, I would recommend that you stop this episode right now and uh, wait for our future episode that is not related to the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. And that was my disclosure. If you are interested in hearing more about the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, then this episode will be the one that you want to uh, listen to. This particular webinar was very long. It was one and a half hours long. So I broke it up into two episodes. This is episode one. financial health doc welcome to the financial literacy podcast for healthcare professionals where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo okay so good morning everybody uh, and we are doing a podcast and a webinar on the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. And the idea today for the webinar is to help answer some questions of, you know, what is the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan? So I have with me two guests. Uh, the first guest is Dr. Michael Long. And then our second guest is uh, Mr. Jean-Pierre Laporte. So I'll introduce uh, Dr. Michael Long. Dr. Michael Long is a friend, uh, and also he is a family doctor. Uh, Dr. Long, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, hey, Boo. Hey, JP. Uh, thanks for having me. I am a family physician. I practice up here in Thunder Bay. Moved here in my younger years and just never left. Set down roots. Uh, I guess I have a mixed practice of family medicine, some rural eMERGE work, uh, some work with Canadian Armed Forces, but I, I keep busy. I, I like to kind of have a few different things on the go. So that uh, that that's me in a nutshell. Okay. JP? Yeah, I'm a pension lawyer. Spent uh, 22 years so far doing practicing pension law in Toronto, and I'm also the CEO of Integris Pension Management Corporation, which is a key partner of the CPPP, Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. 
and uh, that's about it. Okay, so I I just realized I haven't introduced myself. So I'm uh, Vuket Tran. I'm a family doctor like uh, Michael as well, and I am the president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. So we're doing this webinar and podcast really to shed some light on, you know, what exactly is this pension plan? So to help us do that, I have uh, Michael, who is looking into this, ask the questions, and then we'll try to answer them as best we can to try to elucidate what this really means. What this, What is this pension plan, in fact? So, Michael, tell us a little bit about how you got interested into hmm. this into this solution. Well, I've always been looking for innovative, a little bit, you know, out of out of the usual ways to invest my money. And I was actually on that the OMA Connect forum and stumbled across a post about a pension plan for physicians. And you know, you're you're blinking your eyes, going, "Is this?" You know, is this for real? Is this just some fantasy? Because, of course, why would we ever get a pension? And so, yeah, did a little bit of looking into into the CPP because that's what the post was about. And uh, found you guys on on the internet, and I, I reached out. And uh, you know, here I am asking some questions. I need I need some more information. Okay, very good. So we're here to answer uh, any questions you have, and that's why we have JP here, the brains. Uh, to help us uh, answer some of these. So uh, why don't you uh, ask your, your first few questions? Yeah. So I guess where, where I'd like to start is just what what is it with a pension in that, like how is how is a pension structured in that me as a physician, I can actually be a part of this? Because I always imagine it's just a big organization. I got to be part of a union. And, and am I, am I, able to just as little me in my corp have my own pension what's the basics i guess is where i'd like to start that, yeah. that's an, a good question i'll let the jp answer that and i'll add some more commentaries if we if we need to yeah ha happy to answer that one so the law in canada uh provides that if you are incorporated uh for example a physician would have a medicine professional corporation if you are incorporated and the, the company pays you a salary for services rendered to your own company. You have what's called an employer-employee relationship. And therefore, your professional corporation now has the ability to set up a pension plan just for you. It doesn't have to be offered to any of your staff. It could just be offered to you. Or maybe if you have family members that are on the payroll, uh, they could be added as well. So it could be a small family plan, but typically there's one person, i.e. the doctor, that's participating in this plan. And the beauty of it is that we're using the exact same legislation that governs these large organization pension plans that you were mentioning. So nurses in Ontario belong to the Healthcare of Ontario Pension Plan, OOP. And they have access to a beautiful gold-plated pension plan. Well, now your medicine professional corporation can give you your a miniature hoop for yourself. And that law goes back to 1991. That's when the Income Tax Act regulations were changed to provide for these types of rules. So that's the legal foundational basis for, for this being possible for you. So yeah, let me... Let me just put into context 
you know, like you said, Michael, for the longest time, physicians never had this. And what is this a pension plan for physicians is because to have a, a pension plan, we need to be employer or sorry, employee of someone. We had to be an employee of some organization. And for most of us across Canada, we work as contractors with the ministry. So in our case, we work for the Ministry of, of Health in Ontario. For you know, people in BC will be BC and Quebec, etc. But we're not we're not employees, and so we're self-contractors. So that made it impossible for the ministry or the provinces to provide a pension plan for physicians. And to be honest, I don't see why they would want to do that for us. And so for the longest time, we've never been able to have one until now, as JP mentioned, since we've been able to incorporate our corporation is the employer and we are the employee. Now we have this employer-employee relationship and that's how we can create a pension plan. So the pension plan that we're talking about is sort of like a mini hoop, right? Um, but you will see, as we discussed, that structurally speaking, it is better than hoop. A lot, a few of our colleagues have hoop. For example, um, I know that a, a, um, a group of pathologists, for example, um, they're not paid by OHIP, they're paid by the hospital. And so the, the employer is a hospital, the physician is the employee. And in that circumstance, they have access to hoop. Every other physicians don't. And so this pension plan is really designed for us who are what I call self-employed. So with, with the pension plan and uh, the, the retirement income that I would get from it, is there any kind of like, do I as then the employer and the employee have any input into how how it's all calculated? So like, what would my retirement income be? How that how that works? Like, what are, how I how much I have to put in monthly or or you know annually? However that works. Like, is that is there flexibility in this or is is it that there's a bunch of rules and we have to follow all these CRA rules and and it's it's based on you know a formula that is is then taking its information from from uh, financial statements and things so so it's it's actually a mixture of the two there are a bunch of rules and these rules set out the maximum that you can contribute to the plan so this is a good news, right? The higher, the bigger, the more deductions. The flexibility comes from the fact that this pension plan that your corporation has set up for you is exempt from all of the strictures, all of the restrictions of the Pension Benefits Act. Because in Ontario, for example, and it's similar across the country, each province has its version of a Pension Benefits Act that sets out how much the company has to contribute. These are the funding requirements uh, to any pension plans that is set up for an employee. So that's why General Motors and all of these large companies were forced to make contributions to their pension plans, whether the company was doing well or not. These funding rules do not apply to you because you are a what we call a connected person. You own the share, you, or at least you own at least 10% or more of the shares of your own professional corporation. So by law, you are classified as a connected person. If you qualify as a connected person, the provincial rules don't apply to your pension plan. So if you wanted to, you could set up a pension plan 
and never funded. Now, that wouldn't make any sense, but technically, in terms of flexibility, you could ignore the pension plan if you didn't want to put a penny in it. So, so if, I, if, yeah. if I have a, a contribution, say, amount that's flexible, how do I know, like, just so I'm, so I can have like a, a some semblance of idea, like I want to know, well, what's my retirement income going to be that I can count on uh, coming out of this pension down the road? Is there, is, do, is there a way that I, I can keep tabs on that and sort of plan for that going, yeah. going into the future? So, so remember when we said you have all these sets of tax rules. So we have, we develop an actual plan based on actuarial science and calculations that says if, if you contribute to your plan X dollars over time, this is how much money you will have in retirement. So if you follow the plan, this is how much money you will have to bank on that you can count on when you're doing your financial planning. And, and but, if, yeah. if I decided to move money into a different direction and have less in the pension, would then there be an adjustment that would take yeah, place? We, we could adjust that. That's just a projection on a go forward basis. But, and you can terminate the plan at any point. So, so there's the, the flexibility is all over the place. It's extremely flexible. So you're not getting caught into a machinery that's gonna you know, destroy your arm as you put your finger in. This is not how this works. It's extremely flexible, but what it does is it also gives you the ability to put significantly, I'm talking three to four times more money to work in a sheltered environment than an RSP. So that's a huge difference because right. if you can put more money to work sooner, you don't have to work as hard to retire on the same amount as someone who's only putting a little bit because they're capped up, they're capped by limits, by lower limits. Could you maybe, I don't know, either you or Vu just tell me a little bit more about the difference then with, with the RSP and the pension? I mean, we've been, you know, I, I hear about from my account, you know, we got to make your RSP for retirement and, and then I, you know, other you know, friends of mine that are business owners tell me it's not the way to go. And, and so I wonder if this, this might be a better option for me for instead of the RSP, like, how, what do you guys think for it, that? It, well, I don't know if you want to go first, but uh... yeah, I can, I can answer that. So I realized that we didn't answer your first question, which is uh, how do we even calculate this? How do I even know what I'm allowed uh, when I retire? So let's me answer that. Yeah. And then I'm going to answer this one. So uh, as JP mentioned, this is based on actuarial calculation. So I'll take myself as an example. I'm a family doctor. Let's assume I make, I don't know, uh, hypothetically 200,000. So I make 200,000, my T4, I'll call it 200,000. And then we give these numbers to an actuarial company who does the mathematics using pension formula. And then they'll say, well, Vu, when you retired age 65 based on your income of 200,000 based on the next 35 years of practice based on your age based on what we think the average return in the in the market will be uh your retirement income will be 100,000 every year at age 65 i'm i'm just throwing numbers there just so we conceptualize what that means okay so uh, you're allowed to take 100000 every year starting age 65. And by the way, this number assumes that it will be there for you until you die. 
whenever that ages. It could be 90, it could be 95, it could be 105. The plan is supposed to work until you die, okay? And then what that does is say, okay, you're allowed 100,000 per year. Now we're going to work backwards using some calculations, time, value of money, et cetera. And we say, well, now you are supposed to put in 30,000 a year. Again, I'm just throwing some numbers just so that we conceptualize the idea. So if VU, over the next 35 years, you put 30,000 this year, 31,000 next year, 33,000 the year after that, and it goes on and up and up and, and until you reach 860. If you did that, if you did that plan, assuming that the market will give us 5%, then at age 65, you will get what we told you you would get. <laughs> so that's how we calculate that. Obviously, it's not possible to predict 35 years into the future. So what, what JP was talking about when we talk about actuaries is that every three years, we do an actuarial reevaluation to make sure we're still on track, guys. Okay, Vu, you put 30 grand, you put 31 grand, you put 32 grand. Now we're going to do a reevaluation. What did the market do in the last three years? Um, and now we will reevaluate. And in the year four, five, six, there'll be different numbers. But if you follow that plan, Vu, then we will get to the promised land at age 65. So that's how things are calculated in a pension. Can I just jump in for a quick sec? I, yeah, I was of course. Wondering what if what if my salary were to increase, for instance, after I started my pension plan, would the math then change? Catch up with that again? Absolutely. And it's even better, right? So um, this year I made 200,000, but next year in the next four or five years, uh, I got a raise from the hospital or I got a raise from OHIP, <laughs> maybe dreaming in Technicolor, but let's say, <laughs> let's say I got a, I got a raise from OHIP and now instead of making 200, I make 250. And so when we do these re-evaluations every three years, then we readjust. And, and I hear the, the amazing plans. Then they talk about indexed uh, to inflation. What, Correct. Like, does is that something that applies to this as well? Or and I and I'm not exactly sure how all that works, but maybe yeah. if you just let me let me jump here, so it gets a little more technical. So, in in Doctor Tran's example, you collect you're promised a hundred thousand dollars a year, but inflation goes up by ten percent. Well, that's not good. If my pension is capped at a hundred thousand every year. And the cost of living is going up. That hundred thousand is worth less and less every year. So, so indexation is the principle by which that hundred thousand dollars that I was promised at let's say age sixty-five becomes one hundred and ten thousand if there's ten percent inflation. So now I have one hundred ten thousand dollars that's coming out of the pension fund for me to spend, and it helps me buy those uh, goods and services that are worth more that are costing more uh, but the key is well how do we how do we make, make sure that now when we're starting the plan when we're starting to contribute to the plan that we put enough money not only to offer the basic hundred thousand but also to make a provision for inflation to make sure there's extra money to deal with the possible inflation and the pension legislation builds in the fact that we're providing inflation at the end. So the annual contributions are gonna be even higher than what's permitted under an RRSP, for example. 
because we were already engineering through the back door that there's gonna be extra costs that we have to pay in the future. So you were asking RSP versus pension, which one's better? Yep. Well, just because of that, we already know that you're gonna be able to claim larger tax deductions using a pension system that builds in inflation than an RSP system where there is no inflation. Your RSP is what you get. So, and oh, sorry, go ahead. One last point is that you might be thinking, well, okay, that's great if that 5% rate of return or whatever percent that uh, Vu was talking about happens. But what happens if the stock market loses money? Doesn't this model blow up? Right, because it's all banking on that their money is going to grow at five percent to fund inflation and fund all these things. Well, under pension legislation, because we're value we're valuing the plan on a periodic basis. If the markets suffered a correction, we have the ability to do another contribution on top of the annual contribution, and that's called a special payment. So that gives my professional corporation even more tax deductions than anyone else because people in an RSP don't have access to special payments. That is a foreign concept for an RSP. But in a pension plan, it's part of how you true up the, and keep the plan on, on, on track. Because if you, if you realize that there's been a, uh, a, an adjustment downwards with respect to the market, instead of saying, oh, well, I guess I won't have as big of a pension. We don't say that. We say, hey, let's take some money from the uh, medical corporation that hasn't been taxed yet because it's pre-tax. And instead of sending a check to the government, we take that money and dump it in the pension plan in order to beef up the assets. So now we can go back on track and we keep growing our money according to the plan. And, and just so I'm clear, like it's my basic doctor brain here with finances, I, I see all my money from my corp going into this pension plan. And I'm in this group, say, of other doctors that are doing this. If, say, I make a special payment, but some other doctors don't make a special payment, is my money still separate? Like, it's not like subsidizing anybody oh. else or anything like that? Great, great question. So your corporation sponsors your pension plan and that's it. That's where the liability, that's where the responsibility ends. You're not cross subsidizing. You're not making other doctors richer and they're not making you richer in, in that sense. It's your pension, your funding rules. And the reason, and we didn't explain this uh, at first, but the CPPP, the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan is a federation of individual personal pension plans or individual pension plans, doesn't matter. So if you've set up a personal pension plan and Dr. Tren has one and other doctors have one, you all have your own entitlements. But for economies of scale purposes, to give you even more power, think of it as a buying collective, mm -hmm. we put them in a federation. And then uh, you have the power of the group. So you get the best of both worlds. You get your own legal individuality with no cross subsidization of other people's problems, but you get the group power all in under one solution. 
So I want to come back to this concept later uh, because it's important when we talk about intergenerational wealth and flexibility. So I don't I don't want to go into that right now, uh, but I want to remember this concept of, you know, Michael, you have your own pension plan. Vu has his own pension plan. Bob has his own pension plan. So everything's tracked to the individual. When Michael puts money into his pension plan, it belongs to Michael. It doesn't it doesn't belong to Vu and it doesn't belong to, to Bob. Uh, when I put money in my pension plan, it's me only and my family. It doesn't go to Michael. So, But when we pull our money together, then we join as a collective. So we'll talk about the structure and how, how powerful that is in a minute. But I want to come back to your question. How is this different from an RRSP? Because that's a, a fundamental question, fundamental question about how is this different in an RSP and a pension plan? The RSP is what we call sort of, in a way, a defined contribution plan. And so what is defined is my contribution. So this year, I'm allowed to put 30,000, for example. So what is defined is a 30,000. So I put this year 30,000. Next year, I put 31,000. And the year after that, I put 32,000. So what is defined is the money that I put in. Unfortunately, I put it in and I save it and I invest in the market and it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. When I retire at 65, I actually don't know how much I'm gonna get because it's not, the, it's not the benefit that's defined, it's my contribution. So when I do that with an RSP, there is a lot of uncertainty because I don't know what I'm getting at the end. Um, and the RSP is on a personal level, Vuket Tran does not. It's not Vuket Tran MPC doing that. And so, there are some differences in why that is. So when Vuketran does that, Vuketran has to take money from the MPC into its own hands, get, ta ca get taxed once, and then get the benefit later. Whereas the pension is using pre-tax money in the corp that has never been tarnished by tax ever. And then we put that money aside for Vuketran. So that's two differences. The pension, is a defined benefit program. What is what is defined is the benefit. I know that when I'm at 65, I will get 100,000 a year. That is defined. Now we work backwards. We work the math backwards and say, well, Vu, you're going to contribute 30,000. I'm going I'm to use this exact same 30,000, 30,000 as a, you know, apples to apples comparison. But the idea is in a pension, the defined the definition is in the benefit Whereas in the RSP, the define the definition is in the contribution, but the uncertainty in the future is really up in the air for an RSP. Um, for the RSP, the law is eighteen percent of last year's salary. So I made two hundred thousand. It's eighteen percent of that, so it's thirty six thousand. But it's not thirty six thousand because it's capped at thirty. <laughs> okay. Whereas. Whereas the benefit, the defined benefit says, well, I have to give Vu 100,000 at age 65. So now I work the math backwards and I say, well, actually Vu is now 35. So I only have 30 years to contribute. It's actually not 30,000. It's actually 33,000. So Vu this year in 2023, Vu Ketran MPC can put 33,000 into the pension plan. Whereas if it's VU personally, it's it's capped at 30. Okay. And so that's why when JP said, 
you know, over the long term, over the span of years, the pension plan actually allows one person, Vuketran, to benefit from a pension that is about three to four times bigger than what an RSP can allow. And so that's the difference between RSP and pension. And so that's the fundamental difference is that RSP is a defined contribution model, whereas pension plans, whether you talk about HOOP, whether you talk about OMERS, whether you talk about the Canadian Armed Forces, whether you talk about the CPPP, they work on a defined benefit model. If I were to then start a pension plan, a personal pension plan, or whatever kind of pension plan, does that change then if I decide to do both RSPs and a pension, or do I choose just one of those things? JP. So, so you so once you belong to a pension plan, and there are different variants of pension plans, but all of them have this in common is that once it's in place and you're making contributions or you're accruing value in it, you have to report to the government what's called a pension adjustment, a PA. And and what the PA does is that the government takes that information and they adjust your RSP contribution rule. They say you're already taking advantage of the tax rules, the deductions under pension legislation. So we will no longer allow you to fully take advantage of your RSP on top. Okay. So I have a little bit of RSP. There's room. a tiny little bit of RSP room that, that still survives after these pension adjustments are generated. But main, you know, big picture is very little. Okay. Because you're taking advantage of pension legislation, which is significantly more generous than the RSP in the first place. Okay. So I'm only hearing good things so far compared to RSP which makes me wonder why in the world am I only hearing about this in 2023? I've been incorporated, you know, since 2013. And I just, it's just sort of, geez, where's this been? I wonder what's happening. Like, can you tell me like, what's the story with that? So, Vu? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great question, Michael. So, I've been asking this question ever since I was a staff uh, in 2000. Uh, I became staff when I was fairly young, and I'm and I look at my my nurse colleague who has a great pension with hoop, and I'm like, what about me? What, what happened to the doctor? How come nobody has ever done this to for us? And I I started looking, I started searching, and I came across uh, initially uh, a pension plan called an IPP. Yeah. Um, and that has been in existence since 1991. Is that correct, yeah, GP? 1991, yeah. 1991. And so I looked at that and say, oh, my God, finally, there's a pension plan for doctors. But unfortunately, that program actuarially and mathematically only makes sense after the age of 38. And I was 26 at the time. And so my my accountant and my advisor says, can't do it, Vu. Doesn't make sense. Okay. So uh, what I'm doing, I'm doing RSPs, I invest in mutual funds. And at that time, nobody talked to me about MERs. So, so I invest in mutual funds, you know, lost a great amount of money. And then eventually, uh, I came across the personal pension plan, which which what JP does and, and helps people set up. 
And at that point, uh, I'm like, well, this is a, a much better solution. It's actually a, it's an actual pension plan for individuals incorporated professionals. So I joined the pension plan. And as I joined the pension plan, I said to JP, why am I the only one doing this, by the way? <laughs> like, <laughs> is there is this not available for all doctors in Canada? JP says, of course it is. I'm like, same question. Why have I ever never heard about this before? Like, I was 26 and now I only met you when I'm 40, like 14 years later. What happened? Why am I, why am I not aware of this? And that's when I realized there's a gap of knowledge in the market, a wow. real gap of knowledge in the market. It's not just that. We went to the Kane Medical Association and said, all your doctors that are members of your association should have a personal pension plan. And they said, well, we sold MD Financial to a bank. And so we're, we're not allowed to set up anything. So go talk to them. So let me come back to the, to the idea of the PPP. So I did my PPP, which is my personal pension plan. And I said to JP, we need to offer this on a massive scale to all doctors in Canada. And so that's when we put our two minds together. We melted our brains. I don't know. You still see some scar here. <laughs> so we melted our brains together and we came up with a structure. And, and this is why I say it's important because the structure is the PPP and then federate it. And you'll understand later why the structure is so important. And so once we've done that, we put some uh, marketing power behind it. We put some education and we put some, um, some uh, cells behind it to say it's now available. And in fact, it's not true. It was available a long time ago. It's just that it was never discussed in the market. But now we've put it into market and say, physicians, you need to be aware. But there was also another reason, and this is a legal reason that I will let JP uh, uh, elaborate. Yeah, so until, at least in Ontario, until December the 8th, 2020, so this is not that long ago, if you signed up for a personal pension plan or even an individual pension plan as a doctor through your medical corporation, you had to follow the Pension Benefits Act, which is the provincial pension legislation that talks about how much you have to contribute, what happens to your contributions and so forth. One of those rules is that you could not have multiple employers under one structure. If you did, it became a multi-employer pension plan. And that comes with its own set of rules and administration. And it's a kind of a big project and it forces you to put all your money in one pot. So you're mm -hmm. concerned about, hey, I'm putting money for my pension. Mm -hmm. I don't want any of that to end up in the hands of other physicians. Well, that multi-employer plan structure does that. So on December the 8th, 2020, historical day in, for pension lawyers, the law was amended that said, if you're a connected person, and you are, because you own more than 10% of your own professional corporation, you're exempt from the Pension Benefits Act. Therefore, all this stuff mm -hmm. about multi-employer plan no longer applies to you. So now your corporation and Boo's corporation and Bob's corporation can pool, can join a federation without being a multi-employer pension plan. So you preserve the, in, the individual freedom of action 
and your own money, but you can bundle yourself with others to achieve economies of scale and get a lot more bang for your buck. So, so totally, it's a, it's a totally recent, best of both worlds there. It's the best of both worlds, but only became possible after in okay. Ontario after December the 8th, 2020. So it's very recent. So you're forgiven <laughs> if it's only been that long. Um, so you mentioned the multi-employer. Is that now, is that the same? Is that the one now that is being offered through um, MD management? Correct. Okay. So MD, so when the Kinney Medical Association sold uh, the shares of MD Financial, MD Management to, to Scotia Bank, Scotia yeah. Wealth, for I think like something at $1.8 billion, um, the, they started thinking, well, we should offer something for doctors. So they came up with a new plan called the Medicus plan, Medicus pension plan. And the Medicus plan, based on their publicly available documentation, is a multi-employer pension plan. So it has one single pool for all the monies of all the doctors and all the professional corporations that participate. So my money is mixing with everyone else's money? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Which has all kinds of consequences if you were to pass away uh, unexpectedly. Um, there are certain things that would happen to your money. It could stay in the pool so that other doctors enjoy your money instead of your family. Mm. So that's one, one possibility. And we'll get to that later. But it's a different animal from a pension law perspective than the federation of individual PPPs that is the CPPP. Is it more expensive? Uh, which one? The multi-employer. I, I Expenses in terms of administrative fees? Yeah. No, I would think that uh, it's probably quite competitive because it's one big pool. Okay. The, the, the issue with it is that it's funded on what we call, going back to, to Vu's uh, earlier comments, is funded on a defined contribution basis. Oh. So you can only put this much money, whereas mm. in, the, in the CPPP, you can put this much money. Right. The audience doesn't see what JP is pointing at. So when he said that the Medicus plan is funded on a defined contribution model, when he points to saying at this level, it is a lower level than what the PPP and the CPP levels are. The CPPP levels are on a defined benefit model and therefore the contribution limits are higher. So even if the cost is lower here, we win the race because right. you have so much more capital working for you, generating interest on interest over time that the administrative fee is irrelevant, virtually irrelevant to the conversation. So, so in some way, in some way, it is a bit more expensive than the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. And here's how I explain it. So we cannot get away from fees. Nothing in life is free. So to administer any plan, whether our plan or the MEPP plan, there are fees. Yeah. What happens is if you put your money in a pool, someone has to manage that pool. Someone has to track it. Someone has to report to CRA. So there's a CEO, there's a CFO, there's clerks, there are advisors, et cetera. And that's how 
pension plans operate, like the teacher's pension plan or OMERS. There are people administering that plan. And there are fees that are taken away from the pool to pay all these individuals. Unfortunately, you don't get to know what those fees are. Only at the only at the financial report at the end, it says, well, this year it costs you $3 million to administer this plan. But it doesn't say uh, out of that $3 million, 50 cents belong to Vu and $1 belongs to Michael. So Vu, you can deduct 50 cents and Michael, you can deduct a dollar. They don't say that, but it does eat up. It does eat up the money in the pool. In the case of the CPPP, remember, it's a federation of individual plans. So Michael, you know exactly what your corporation pays in fees. You know exactly I know exactly how much I pay in fees because I can know exactly and I can track it and it's and it's a pension plan sponsored by my corporation. It's an actual expense for my corporation. So therefore, I can actually deduct it from my income. Okay. So in, in essence, for my corporation, this pension plan is free <laughs> because I can actually deduct it from my income. Whereas if you join the multi-employer pension plan, they don't track how much you pay and how much I pay. So I can't even deduct it. So those are true fees. Um, coming back to the, the, the structure of the MEPP and the, and the Medicus one. So it's a specified multi-employer pension plan and it's, it's modeled after a defined contribution model. So therefore you're stuck at that level for everyone. So whether you're a family doctor, whether you're a cardiologist, whether you're an ophthalmologist, or whether you're an internist, we don't make the same amount of money, but we all contribute the same amount. And, and the age too. If you're a 64-year-old physician and you know you're going to retire next year and you know you need a lot more money because that's your last year that you can contribute, if you're capped at the much lower defined contribution limit, you're not funding your pension properly. Whereas with a defined benefit plan, it, it uh, you know, approximates what you need to contribute. So it gives you the opportunity to contribute more and therefore to claim a larger tax deduction and pay fewer taxes along the way. So there's a mismatch between um, what is really required and what is allowed under a specified multi-employer plan. Okay. which causes all kinds of strain on the system because so, it, for, it forces you to take more risks to have a higher rate of return to make up for the lack of contributions that the limit prevents you from putting in. So a, a specified multi-employer pension plan or a multi-employer pension plan like the one that Scotiabank and MD Management is proposing actually penalizes people in mid and late career physicians? And it actually penalizes the specialists who obviously can make more. Okay. Now, in your brochure, you also mentioned when I went through it, there's there's a reference to past contributions. Uh, I it doesn't really get into it too much. So I was I was wondering, is that something that's only available in your plan, or is, is that something that other plans do? And and like, what does that even mean? And how does that make me more money? So let me take a first crack, JP, and then uh, I'll let you use the legalese and legal technical terms about it. Um, so 
imagine the path service as uh, equivalent to RRSP room. Okay, similar analogy. Yeah. So I've been working since the age of 18, uh, but I didn't contribute. I didn't contribute in RSP. I didn't do it for 10 years. Okay, and I left RSP room on the table. So the, the government allows me to, you know, backtrack all the RSP contributions right. that I've never made. Yeah. And so the pass, the purchase of pass servers is exactly the same in concept. Now, this purchase of pass servers is available to IPPs, so individual pension plan. Okay. It's available to PPPs, personal pension plan. And it's definitely available in the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan because we are essentially IPPs or PPPs that we federated. Okay. Now, is that available in MEPP? And is that available in specified multi-employer pension plan? That's the legal question that JP can help us with. Yeah, so technically speaking, uh, you could purchase past service under a multi-employer pension plan that offers defined benefits. Uh, I'm not sure at this point if the Medicus plan does it. Um, so we'll, we'll probably have to research that as they bring more materials online. Um, a quick review of their website doesn't seem to, to answer that question, but uh, it, it could. Technically, they could. So, so the next it, question is why? It, yeah, and how does it make, I want to make more money. So I only put more right. money in if I'm better off, right? How does that work? Right. So the question is why? Why would I want to do it, right? So imagine that you're, I'm allowed this year in 2023, I'm allowed to put 30,000. That's the number we started with as an example. So I'm in 2023, I'm going to put 30,000. And if I next year I put 31, then it's a total of 61 the next year, and so on and so on. But what if what if the government says, hey, Vu, by the way, the 10 years that you didn't you didn't ever do it, I'm gonna give you a chance to do it. And what if that number was 200,000? I'm like, sure, why not? So this year in 2023, I can put 200,000 plus 30,000. So now in 2023, I can put 230,000. Now, again, this is just a number. It's just to understand the concept, but everybody's different, right? I incorporated 10 years ago, I have more. I incorporated two years ago, I have less. I incorporated in 1990, I have much, much more. So depending on when you incorporate it and how much money you left on the table, you're allowed to recoup all that. Now, what does it mean? Well, first of all, Instead of having 30,000 to invest and compound at 5%, I now have 230,000 to compound at 5%, right? That's the first idea. The second idea is, remember, this is sponsored by my MPC. So in 2023, I can have 30,000 deducted off my MPC's income, which is great. But what if I have 230,000 deducted off my corporate income? That's even more tax savings in 2023 alone. Right. So the more room that I have to purchase past service, the better it is because I have more money to be invested compounding. But my corporation in that year takes a massive tax write-off. And so this purchase of past service is an amazing tool moving forward but it's also an amazing tax planning tool for now. 
would it mean that if I bought the past service or if I contribute it, would it mean that my retirement income would be more or that my contributions going forward annually would be just less because I already have more in the plan? So if you didn't do it, yeah. so let's just say I didn't do it. I only did the 30,000 and the 31 and so on, and yeah. I didn't do it. What was expected 30 years from now would actually be not met because okay. in the calculation, I was assuming you were going to put the past service. Okay. If I put the past service with this year, then I'm more likely to meet my liability 30 years from now. And I'm more likely to give VU 100,000 per year at age 65. And now if I had, say, say I had like 300,000, would I, do I have, is there like a window of time where I could contribute that? Or do I have to have 300,000, you know, in the bank that I have to give over right away? Yeah. So JP, you want to answer that? Well, no, you have 15 years to amortize those liabilities and okay. claim deductions. And remember, because you're you're exempt from the Pension Benefits Act, you don't have to put a penny. So okay. if you do have the 300 and you do want to claim a yeah. deduction, you can. If you want to chop it up into 15 equal installments and only deduct what you put in, you can. You want to do two payments of 150 over two years, you can. You want to do two payments, but you only get to do one and the second one you'll never do. That's fine as well. Okay. Right. So it's super flexible. As I mentioned earlier, this is a long podcast that lasted one and a half hours. So I'm going to stop and uh, truncate our discussion here as part one. If you're interested in understanding more about the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan and its basic structure and how it works, please join me on uh, part two of this discussion. And again, full disclosure that I am the president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan and that JP is the treasurer of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, in addition to being the CEO of Integris pension management. And so if you are not interested in hearing about the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, by all means, please do not listen to part two. And I will look forward to hearing from you guys and having you guys join us later for future episodes. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.